Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Vanessa, who is going to talk to us about what it means to be a betrayal recovery specialist and her experience in getting to that and where she is now. Hi, Vanessa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Thank you for being a guest. And just before we get started, Vanessa, I always like to ask where my guest is guesting from. I am guesting from New York. I am 50 miles outside of New York City, but I was uh, raised in New York City and I love New York. (laughs) New York has always been on my bucket list, but I just, there's just a lot of people every time I like see anybody talking about New York. So I'm like, I don't know if it's too people-y for me or if it might be a good fit, but it's on my bucket list nonetheless. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. And I look forward to you giving me a call and saying, hey, I'm coming. Let's get together. Let's do this live. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. You never know when I might spring that on you. (laughs) Beautiful. I look forward to it. Me too. Okay, Vanessa. So we, well, I, I guess, briefly mentioned that you are now a betrayal recovery specialist from from, I guess, the standpoint of work. And you're going to talk to us about your personal experience that led to that. So we're ready to hear your wealth of wisdom and your experience when you're ready to share with us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Let me start because I know that your podcast, which is beautifully named Doom to Bloom, and it talks about things related to addiction and hurt, and just a sense of trauma, and all of these dark things that then lead to the light, that lead to the positivity, that lead to the possibilities. Oh, I absolutely love it. So where does my story start? Is a good place to start? That works for me. And I also, I just wanted to say, maybe you should take over like the advertising for me because you just, (laughs) you said that so perfectly. (laughs) Well, it's absolutely an honor to be here. So where I start from is I was addicted. I was addicted to certainty. I always believed that if you had the right education, the right job, the right uh, relationship. You had children, you had the picket fence, you had the house, you had money in the bank, you had cars in the driveway, that you were set. That, you know, you had just, it was all put together. And I had those things. So I was addicted to the certainty of my life until my husband of over three de- uh, over two decades said three words to me. I've met someone and my whole world shattered in an instant. I could not believe the words that were coming out of my husband's mouth. He suddenly became a stranger to me. How was this possible? How did this happen? I did everything right. I was, as I mentioned, addicted to the certainty 
that if my if I did everything as it should be, that my life would be inoculated against trauma, against bad things happening, everything else. This was the mindset that I had. And as I fell deep and hard into the cesspool of betrayal, all the flood of emotions, everything, just the weight of it all just consumed me. And I fell deep and hard. And my background is I'm a C-suite executive. I have a degree in psychology with industrial as well as organizational psychology. I had, my life was together. I, I, you know, even though I had a difficult childhood, I subsequently did everything, quote, right. Why was I in this position? And why was it hitting me so hard? And I distinctly remember, distinctly remember the day, as if it was yesterday, actually, where I laid on my bedroom floor, hardwood floor, crying, and that ugly crying where you've got snot dripping down your face and you just, you, you can't, you don't have enough tears. They're just coming out in buckets. And I remember pleading, pleading to God, universe, spirit, whatever denomination, please, if I could get a moment of reprieve, I will absolutely help someone else not feel this way. And that was the the pact that I made. And that was the guarantee that I made in order to relieve myself of all of the emotions that I was going through. And the very next day, after crying myself to sleep and getting an hour of sleep, because when you go through betrayal and you go through that flood of emotions, sleep is one of the things that you do not get because you're just haunted both when you're awake and when you're asleep, the next day I woke up and I felt a little better, just a little, but I, I felt it. And the day after that, a little better after that. And the day after that, a little better after that. And that's when I dove deep into recovery. I wanted to get my hands on as much material as I possibly could to help me get through the betrayal. And one of the things that I stumbled across was something, a theory that I learned in 2016 by Eric Edmeads that changed the trajectory of my own healing. And now I share it with my clients as well as with my support group members. Would you like to hear a little bit about it? I feel like I would be crazy to say no. So yes, please. All righty. <laughs> Hit so, us with it. <laughs> so the theory that he developed was something called the hindsight window, the hindsight window theory. And what that is, is that is a time between a devastating event, a devastating event where you just get flooded with all that emotion. And you're like, how can I possibly get through this? How can I survive? How can I move past this? So the time between the devastating event and the time in the future where you end up seeing the event as a blessing, 
as it was meant to be, as it was a gift, as it was an opportunity. Now, wait, hold on. You're like, oh my God, how can I see this betrayal as a gift? How is that possible? How might I, how might I see this as a gift or an opportunity? I know, I know that. And I answered on a, I have my Instagram account, which I manage myself, and I put it out there that I am better for the experience of betrayal. I am better. I am so far removed. And yes, my hindsight window was years, years between the devastating event, betrayal, and when I finally got to the position where I could let it go and realize that I stepped into who I was meant to be. And I would never be in the moment in time right now that I am if I did not have the betrayal. And therefore, I am better for the experience. It pushed me in a direction that I would have never gone into. I, as I mentioned, a C-suite executive, I mentored and coached my um, team members and those that worked in our organization, always very encouraging and so forth and so on. But I never thought that I would become an entrepreneur, a solo entrepreneur, develop my own company all around betrayal recovery. And I am so blessed at this moment in time. I've become an author. I've written two books, the books that I needed when I went through betrayal, as well as writing my blogs, enjoying my website. I adore Instagram, absolutely adore Instagram. And this betrayal, this going through the muck and the destruction of myself allowed for me to rebuild in an image that I adore. I love who I am now. And before betrayal, BB, before betrayal, I liked who I was, but I didn't love myself the way I love myself now. And I don't, I never really focused on myself before betrayal because I was a mother, I was a wife, I was a C-suite executive, so forth and so on. I focused on everyone else until I went through betrayal and discovered me. I discovered me and I so like myself. I really, really do. Unfortunately for your listeners, they don't see me, but I have completely changed my look as well. Before betrayal, I had salt and pepper hair down to the middle of my back. I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. I went through the betrayal, went through the Wild Fit program to drop the weight. I chopped off my hair, so it went to my shoulders. Then I shaved off one side. I shaved off the other side. I dyed the top nice and brown, and I added a pink streak. Now, pink streak for a C-suite executive, yeah, that's pretty drastic, especially in my industry, because I'm still involved in my company 
um, the company that I work for besides my own company. And I walk into a board meeting, yes, with a pink streak in my hair, but this is me. This is me now. I am not a version of what everybody else thinks I should be. I'm actually myself. So I have an emotional formula for you related to this hindsight window theory. And the emotional formula is that resentment and regret in your past. If you're holding on to resentment and regret, it will appear as fear in your future. However, how much gratitude you have for your past will show up as faith in the future. So therefore we need to clean up the past. We need to take those events that have happened to us and look at them, not being in them, but look at them as an outside observer and see them even one degree different. We can clean up our past. I'll give you a perfect example. My uncle Marty, I adored my uncle Marty. He was the best. And every Christmas he would come with gifts and everything else. And I just adored uncle Marty. And then there was a year where he was crabby and cranky and irritable. And I was probably eight or nine years old and I couldn't understand why he was being that way. And I internalized it. I thought that something had been different about me. Maybe I wasn't getting good grades in school. Maybe my parents told him of some thing that I had done and he was suddenly disappointed in me. I didn't know. And I felt betrayed. I felt and again, at eight years old, you can't put words to how you feel, but you feel it within you, that feeling that something is off. And I blamed myself. Now, I held on to that for a really long time until I learned this technique that I share with my clients, that to reframe the past and I looked at it again, this time being an outside observer and recognized, wait a second, at 10 years old, he was diagnosed with dementia. He was diagnosed with dementia. So wait a second, he was in the throes of starting to not remember certain things. And that probably scared him and frightened him and made him irritable because he couldn't remember certain things. And then I remembered that he forgot my name. And I internalized that as how could he forget about me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm his favorite niece. I'm his only niece. How could he forget my name? And in that moment where I had that revelation of, that was when his dementia started and he picked up on it and he was fearful. And suddenly I was able to clean up that situation. I saw it differently. So once again, the as much gratitude as you can have for your past will show up as faith in your future. And we just need to clean up 
the past. How long did it take you to figure out that emotional formula? Because that sounds from an outsider briefly touching on the situation that caused your life to be, I guess, destroyed in many ways. It sounds like you had to do a lot of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to do a lot of work. And in my particular case, because some people's hindsight window, that that moment of time when something devastating happens and when they've let go, they recognize that it happened. I don't want to say for a reason, but it happened and it changed the trajectory of their life in a way that if that event did not happen, they wouldn't be on the path that they are in. For example, you're fired. <gasps> that wave of emotion that comes over you. And then if you look at it years later and you're in a job, a career, you're your own boss, whatever your circumstances is, but your circumstances are better, you suddenly go back to that moment in time when you were fired and you realize that was the shove, that was the push, that was the oomph that I needed to change my life, to do something different, to not be addicted to the certainty of your life. Is this theory similar to, I think it's called post-traumatic growth? Yes. Is it similar? Yes. Similar to that? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I prefer the hindsight window rather than um, labeling it with a trauma. Because I think mm -hmm. that sometimes those that go through trauma, and we all go through trauma, it's in different stages. There's a bell curve for trauma. Um, I refer to it sometimes as those that say never and always. You always do this or you never do this. Those are on the edges of the bell curve. And then you have the middle of the bell curve where the majority of us are, is sometimes. And with the word trauma, a lot of clients that I've experienced get stuck on that word and they live in that word and they embrace that word as a warm, comfortable, comfortable blanket and they don't step out of it. Because people stay comfortable in their comfort zone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. When I'm going to take like 50 steps back here, Vanessa, when you said that you were in recovery from betrayal, what does that specifically look like? I don't know that I've necessarily heard recovery associated with betrayal before. So I'm just curious what that looks like. Or looked like for you? What it looked like for me as I went through recovery of betrayal is I, I could stand on my own. I could look in a mirror and see myself rather than seeing the affair partner. I could walk through my life without bursting into tears about what if or what did I miss or how or the shame blame game that I went through before I crossed over from being 
a victim of my circumstance to being a survivor in recovery. I want to be better. I want to feel better. I want to be able to trust again. I want to be able to love again. So when you step over that threshold into recovery, you then start looking at your past, the past events differently, maybe with a sense of empathy, maybe with a sense of compassion towards yourself. Because a lot of times when you go through betrayal, you blame yourself. You don't forgive yourself. You tear yourself apart. And while what happened to you, because something terrible happened to you, it wasn't about you. My husband's betrayal wasn't about me. And 99.9% of the time when one spouse betrays the other spouse, it is not about the spouse. It isn't. And it's such a hard concept to wrap your head around because we as women are so used to taking the blame for things. We're, because we have that nurturing fix it mindset, we suddenly want to fix ourselves because we see something wrong with ourselves because our partner cheated on us. And we don't make that connection initially that their betrayal had nothing to do with us. What does it usually have to do with? Like just their own inner traumas and that kind of stuff? Exactly. Very, very much so. We become the collateral damage in their own inability to handle whatever they are going through. And the number one thing that I work on most with couples when I work with couples is communication. There is such a breakdown in communication that couples don't talk to each other. They text each other. They could be in the same room texting each other. Uh, they, They lose sight of that ability to be able to look into their partner's eyes and say, I'm feeling. I feel, I felt, I'm feeling and express themselves because when you're in a relationship with a partner, you can't argue about how somebody feels. You're not going to change how they feel. You can change how they think about a topic, but you can't change how they feel. And a lot of couples try to do that. And then they go to those extremes that we talked about on the bell curve, never and always, rather than sometimes. Sometimes when you do X, Y, and Z, it makes me feel A, B, and C. It's very different than you never do X, Y, Z, and therefore I feel A, B, and C. Whoever you say that to will say, well, wait a second. You're saying I never do X, Y, Z. I just did X, Y, Z last week. And you're looking for them to do X, Y, Z daily. Hmm. I feel like even that can be, I guess when I hear the word relationship, I always assume romantic because that's just the first thing that comes to mind. But that 
communication pattern, if you will, I guess, that goes for every type of relationship and friendship and interaction. Absolutely. Happens with coworkers. I work with a lot of corporations. Uh, I come in to do um, communication uh, workshops. And again, we have that bell curve of never and, and always, and then in the middle sometimes. And it's interesting to hear when people start to loosen up that, you know, they'll turn to their colleague, you never answer your phone on the first ring. It always has to ring four times before you answer it, you know, and the other person immediately gets defensive and is like, well, wait a second. I do answer the phone on the first, second or third ring. It's not that I just purposely wait till the fourth ring. So you can't say that. So suddenly they're arguing semantics rather than if the first person said, listen, the fact that, that it seems that sometimes you always wait for the phone to ring four times, it would be really helpful if you're sitting at your desk to answer it more quickly because I hear it through the thin walls. And just to have that moment of clarity as to why this action upsets this other person allows for a consensus to happen. So communication is definitely key. Silence is a killer because most people think silence is acceptance. If I have your silence, you're accepting what I say because you're not coming back at me attempting to contradict me. So your silence equals acceptance. And if we're suddenly both silent in our relationship, whether that's romantic, work, um, all kinds of other relationships, if we're silent and we both think that that equals acceptance, that starts to tear at the fabric of our relationship because neither one of us is communicating. How do you support... I guess, organizations or people or couples in, in that communication where say their, I guess their, their experience or their past history or past trauma was people pleasing or just always being shut down. So then they learned, you know, I'm not going to be hurt anyway. So why should I say something? Or I might get a, B, and C happened to me because I said something and I voiced my concerns. How do you, how do you support those individuals that experience that in working on their communication, whether it's relationships, solo, or employment? A lot of it starts with the internal communication we have in our own head. When you go through betrayal, especially for women, they have what I refer to as the nasty chick voice on their <laughs> shoulder. It's the one that just beats them down, tells them that they're worthless and that you see and you can't and just, just makes them just the chatter is nonstop. The communication that we have with ourself is the one that we need to work on the most before we can go out there and communicate with others. 
we really need to clean up the communication that we have with ourselves. And sometimes it just starts with little baby steps. It just starts with looking in the mirror and truly looking into your own eyes and seeing something beautiful. Wow, Vanessa, you have the most beautiful green eyes. And you leave it at that. The next day, you build on it. Vanessa, you have the most beautiful green eyes that when you look at somebody, you really see them. The next day, you build upon it. Vanessa, you have the most beautiful green eyes. You really see somebody when you look at them and you make them feel good. And you continue to build and you move on from there and you see your own beauty, but you have to say your own beauty. One of the techniques that I use, and I'll share it with your audience that I absolutely love, and each time I say it to a client, they resist it at first, but because I make it one of those situations where I strongly encourage it, find a meditation that you absolutely love. Find an affirmation that you absolutely love. Record it on your phone, but record your voice. That way, when you play it back, you hear your own voice. There's something powerful about seeing or hearing yourself. It's the same thing with if you hit the record button on your phone for a video and just record yourself saying nice things about you, whether that's an external thing, beautiful green eyes, or something internal. You're a really good listener. You listen to other people. Whatever it is, find those good qualities about yourself. They could be very, you could think that they're very minor. And when you go through betrayal, you think that there's nothing. There is nothing possible because your partner betrayed you. So obviously there's lots of things wrong with you. Mm -mm 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 -mm. That's the nasty chick voice talking to you. Each of us is so unique and so beautiful in our own way. And we have to remind ourselves of it. So this technique of recording yourself saying these words and listening to your own voice is very powerful. I feel like that's something that I would really struggle with. And why is that? I don't know if it wouldn't. Well, one, I don't do that. And that just, it doesn't seem seem or come to me natural, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I actually just wrote that in my notebook to start trying. So I'll keep you updated on how that goes. <laughs> I definitely appreciate that. But I am, may I challenge you? Sure. You're a podcast host. Do you not listen back to the episode and hear your own voice? I do, but I think the part that would be challenging for me would be the 
the recording myself or my voice in the affirmations or the meditations saying positive things about myself. But we have had a chat for almost 30 minutes and I hear the compassion that you have just in the way that you frame the questions that not only you want the answer for, but you want the answer for your audience. You have a compassion within you that not only wants to heal a part of yourself, because we're always in healing mode. Mm-hmm. I, I continue. I'm a perpetual student. There's always little remnants, but you have it as well. And I hear it in your voice. I hear it in the way you frame your questions. And that's your superpower. And that's what you need to focus on. So when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, you remind yourself, I ask really good questions, really in-depth questions. And I ask questions not only for my audience benefit, but for my benefit too. And you move from there and you will start to see the beauty in everything around you. Look at the conversation we had before we went on air about the beauty of a book, about holding a book. There we go, yet another. Is that a puppy in the background? It is very whiny. That's okay. (laughs) She's trying to get your attention because you're a good mama. (laughs) She's actually trying to get comfortable and she keeps like wiggling her butt and her head into her dog bed. And then you know how dogs stand up in the dog bed and like scratch at it so they fluff it up? Mm -hmm. That's what she's trying to do right now. (laughs) Absolutely. you're, You're a good mama to her. And that's something that we need to remember in that mirror conversation that we have with ourselves. I'm a good mama. My puppy loves me. Do you ever find, I guess going off of the conversation where I said that would be challenging for me, do you ever find individuals that also really struggle with that and how do they How do you help them work through that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because as I mentioned, when you go through betrayal, especially the the first initial shock, and then it starts to sink in and you're shell-shocked from it, you immediately go into a state of perpetual blame for yourself. That nasty chick voice just comes full throttle, and it's really hard to shut her down. It truly, truly is. And what I recommend to my clients is tell her, tell her, I need a five-minute reprieve. I need a five-minute reprieve where I don't hear your voice, where you're not coming at me. Just let me be. And at the end of five minutes, you'll be right there, back again. We'll be back in the throes of betrayal, but I need that five-minute reprieve. And then once once that nasty chick voice quiets down for the five minutes, You then extend it to 10 minutes and you keep building from there. Everything we do that's difficult, that's hard, we need to do in incremental steps. 
to recover from it. We need those baby steps. We can't run a marathon if we've never even trained for it, if we've never actually run at all. How do you expect to get to the finish line of a marathon if you've actually never even worn sneakers? It's incremental steps. It's one by one. And there will be times where you will stumble back. There absolutely will be. There will be a trigger. There will be something that floods in and you're like, wait a second, I can't do this today. And that's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Just don't live there. Don't have the pain that you're in become the coffin for your body. No. Remind yourself, remind yourself as as small as it might be, that you are unique, that you are special, that there is a quality about you that somebody else needs. Not only you need it, but somebody else does. That's why you do this podcast benefit, but you do it for your listeners so that they know that they are not alone. And therefore you are not alone because your listeners are right there with you and they feel the gratitude that you have put forth your podcast to help them. Wow. I don't, <laughs> I don't have words. I honestly, truly never thought of it that way. Well, it's good that I gave you something to think about. And it's, it's a nice shift with from the, I, I don't even know if I would call it necessarily negative self-talk all the time, but more so just like the, the inner chatter, the, the nasty chick talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we women have it. We have, we have the voice it's there and it just depends on whether we allow it to park itself on our shoulder and just scream at us all day long and beat us down or we start to minimize it ever so slowly, incrementally, five minutes. I need a five minute reprieve. I just need you to be quiet for five minutes. You'll come back and you reassure your nasty chick voice that they'll come back. Then the next, you know, once that becomes calmer where she doesn't protest the five minutes, you then up it to 10 minutes and then 15 and then 20 then a half hour and then an hour. Again, if you're reassuring her that she can come back, you know, that's okay. It's similar to um, when I did Wild Fit, which is a, um, a lifestyle changing program uh, related to your health. One of the things that was definitely suggested in there is to let the, let the nasty voice, they didn't refer to it as nasty voice, but the voice in your head, you know, let them know a reprieve. I'm not going to have, you know, the, the pint of ice cream at the end of the day today. Maybe I'll have it tomorrow, but today I won't have it. And it kind of reassures and calms down your body. Oh, I'm not going to have it today, but there's a possibility I'll have it tomorrow. Okay, I can calm down. Same thing with the nasty chick voice. If you remind her, let, I just need a half hour. Just give me a half hour. And she knows that she can come back. Oh, she'll settle down. And then suddenly you've built from an hour to two hours to six hours to a day to a couple of days to a week, 
And suddenly she's just really, really quiet. Why? Because you're stronger. You've put her in her place. You've let her know you need to be back there. I'm in charge now. It's a big difference. It's a big shift. And it feels so good. Do you know who Rachel Hollis is? Rachel Hollis. The name sounds really familiar. Please remind me. So she is. I want to say she's from, she's in the States. I'm not sure necessarily where she's originally from, but she just moved from Texas to Los Angeles. But she is, how do I even, like a personal development speaker, a motivator, um, an author. She does women's conferences, all these kind of things. She's got probably millions of followers, but she's very well known. She, I went to a conference of hers three years ago and each conference that she does, she titles it a different word. And that's kind of the theme that goes throughout it. Isn't and so, she, um, wait, I'm sorry to interrupt. Isn't she girl, wash your face or yes. girl, stop up. Yes. Yes. Is. Yes. 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 I fangirl over her, but this, yeah. this conference that I went to in 2020 was called courage and it actually gave me the courage to, realized that the relationship I was in wasn't serving me mm-hmm. back then. Um, but she also kind of talked about this, same as what you're saying. She, instead of calling it the nasty chick voice, she told us to think of, like, the worst name possible or somebody that we really don't enjoy or really don't like and name our voice that. And then remind ourselves that, you know, you wouldn't talk to Ashley this way. You wouldn't talk to, what's another name, Sarah this way. Why are you letting Sarah, your nasty chick voice, talk to you this way? So that was the first thing that kind of came to mind when you mentioned the nasty chick voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I definitely like that um, thought. Uh, my only concern is because I meet so many people and if I named my nasty chick voice, for example, Sarah, and then I bumped <laughs> into a Sarah that, you know, init- my initial reaction would be, and I would judge her immediately before she said anything other than her name. And I would have to pull myself back from that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I still nasty chick voice, but I understand, I understand the principle of naming it because we do want to name our emotions as well. We want to recognize when we are sad. We want to recognize when we have rage and rage is different than anger and just the different emotions that we go through. And Brene Brown is a guru like no other. Her Atlas of the Heart is one of the best, best books on emotions and naming your emotions and the difference between envy and jealousy and rage and anger and all the different emotions and all the different nuances of those emotions. Because once you can name something, you can deal with it. Interesting. I, I've heard a lot of Brene Brown, but I haven't got as deep into her work as some others. So I just actually wrote down Atlas of the Heart book. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. A very, very good book. It's also a Netflix series as well. I think it's a three or four part series uh, that oh, cool. goes through it as well. So if you're more, you see, you and I spoke about books. That's why I referred to it as the book. <laughs> but for your listeners that prefer uh, video over uh, reading, uh, it is a four part series on Netflix, I believe, Atlas of the Heart. I wonder if that's on the American Netflix, because I don't think mine has that mm. in Canada. Interesting. So rub that in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I guess that's just going to force people to go buy the book. Yes. Or go rent absolutely. the book, whatever. Yes, absolutely. Or hear it on audio. Yeah, that's a – I never really got into audio. Interesting. As a podcast host? Yeah, I would think that you would. Well, again, we circle back to our initial conversation of the 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 opportunity to hold a book in your hand and to feel feel the pages and smell that newness of the book, the ink on the paper and to visually see the cover and just have the words pop off the page to you and just resonate with you and to feel yourself escape into a book mm. see and you describe it just so perfectly mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yes i know you know <laughs> i know i know yes very much so. mm. when you okay we're gonna take a hundred steps back here now i apologize this is my brain working like here there and everywhere you had mentioned early on vanessa that you wrote a few books can you tell us about those Oh, yes, absolutely. So when I was going through betrayal, as I mentioned, I wanted to get my hands on everything I possibly could. And I love books, uh, perpetual student that I am. And I went through lots and lots of different books and I found them all to be hard to read. And what I mean by that, contextually, they were wonderful. They had a lot of good points. But when you're right at the start of betrayal, when you have been devastated by an event, you want to read, at least for me, I wanted to read short, quick chapters. I wanted to have a sense of accomplishment that I was able to read a chapter and I could understand it. And I found that a lot of the books that I read were filled with scientific jargon, were, mm -hmm. were filled with uh, religious undertones. Um, there was an element of shame or guilt kind of weaved into them. Um, not, not purposely, but just the fact that the chapters were really long. And I'm like, I can't get through this chapter. I can't focus. I can't see it. The words aren't jumping off the page to me. I'm not, I'm not feeling better after reading this. I'm not feeling like I'm not alone. So when I explored the opportunity of being an author, again, this is something I never thought and why I am grateful for the betrayal because I suddenly became an author and not only one book, but two books I've written dealing with the devastation of your partner's betrayal, what to do when your world falls apart and it's bite-sized chapters. And it allows you to skip around, which is another thing that I found while I was going through my recovery is that 
others were very structured. Week one is discovery day, when you found out about the betrayal. Week two, we're going to discuss the emotional impact. Week three, we're going to discuss about triggers and so forth and so on. And you needed to do it in order. Well, my problem was that I had triggers week one. I wanted to know about triggers. Well, we don't get to that until chapter six or week six. And I wanted a tool to give to betrayed partners, a book that they could skip around, that they would be able to read a chapter, a quick bite-sized chapter, and that they would feel better. And each of my chapters ends with a journal prompt because I am a firm believer that pen to paper is a very therapeutic way of getting your emotions out. Even if you write one word or three words, I hate him, I hate her, you're at least getting your emotion out, pen to paper. So I wrote the first book, very, very proud of it. And then I started getting lots of questions. How do I talk? How do I tell people about the betrayal? How do I communicate with my partner? How do I communicate to my kids? How do I communicate with my in-laws? And so forth and so on. So I wrote a second book, a follow-up book, dealing with the devastation of your partner's betrayal, how to talk to your kids, your parents, your in-laws, your friends, and others. And that too, bite-sized chapters, skip around, find what you need. And in talking to your kids, I break it down to elementary school children, middle school children, high school students, adult children, because they're all different types of conversations. And this includes conversation starters, how to start the conversation, how to have the conversation in confidence, where you're not breaking down into tears and looking for sympathy, but rather you're standing firm and saying, this happened, and this is what we are going to do about it. This is what I need from you, because that's the other thing that happens. When you go through a hardship, the people around you don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. they, they, they just, or they ghost you, they disappear. And you're like, wait a second, because some of your friends, family, colleagues fear. They suddenly have fear that what you're going through is going to bleed onto them. Or they do the exact opposite. They shower you with so much advice, unsolicited advice, that you wish you didn't let the toothpaste out of the tube, that you didn't even tell them what was happening. So again, each book is to empower you to feel A, not alone, and B, to be able to stand firm in what you are going through, and C, to know that you will get through this. There is beauty on the other side of betrayal. There absolutely is. And what we need to do is we need to look at the hindsight window, the time when the devastating event happened, and the time later in the future when you are able to stand in your own presence with a state of mind of, oh, 
yeah, that had to happen for me to be where I am now. And I am really comfortable with where I am now. I am comfortable. I can look in the mirror, see myself and see all of the beauty either inside or out or inside and out around me. And I know that I am better for the experience. That's incredible. And it's so, you make it sound inspiring in a, in a inspiring and empowering. And I love that that's kind of your vibe or your energy. I love that that's what you're giving off as someone that's been through that and now on the other side. Mm-hmm. I love that. And to follow up with your books, Vanessa, where can listeners find you? Where can I find you? You can find me on understandingear.com. Understandingear.com. It is, and again, synchronicities, things that were meant to happen. When I decided, you know what? I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I am going to help others. I need a website. And I thought for sure that I would have to wrestle this name away from somebody else and why this name was important to me. Why understanding ear? Most people think I'm an audiologist, but understanding ear (laughs) comes from a Stephen King quote. And his quote is, and I condensed it, but the most important things to say are the hardest things to say, not for the want of a teller, but for the want of an understanding ear. Wow. And that's what I want to be for others. I want to be that understanding ear. I want them to know that when they come to me and feel all of the emotions that they have, and they just want to feel, they want to reprieve from how they feel, and they want to know that there is possibility, that they will get through this, that they know that they are working with somebody who has been there, who has gone through the fire and is now guiding people through the fire with buckets of water to keep them from getting burned. That's incredible. I was actually, it's almost like you read my mind, Vanessa, because I was actually going to ask you why that website title, because I knew there was a reason. There's always a reason, but I, incredible, incredible, like subtle, subtleness to it almost. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I was very, very grateful that it was available and I snatched it up right away. Uh, subsequently, I do have my name as well, which is Vanessa-Cardenas.com, all points to the same website. And then, of course, there's after-betrayal.com as well. But understanding ear is the one that resonates with me the most. But as I mentioned, people confuse me with an audiologist, which is always very sweet until they get to my website and they're like, oh, betrayal. And uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting that way. And then, of course, I'm on Instagram and I manage my own Instagram. I love answering uh, comments and questions and inquiries on there. And on Instagram, I'm known as trusted underscore advisor underscore for underscore betrayal. Yes. Trusted advisor for betrayal. Mm. I love it. It's all so intentional. 
Oh, yes. Very, very much so. Because I, I, I intend to make people feel better. I so want them to be able to feel better and to trust again and to love again. There is so much hurt in this world and we just need to be able to love again. It's so true. The world is, world needs more love. We all need more love. Yes, 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 yes. And Vanessa, you may already know the next question that's going to come out of my mouth. And you've already been giving, you know, all of the words of wisdom and support, encouragement, all the empowerment, all the inspiration. But what comes to mind was your very first thought when I asked you for a final word of wisdom, word of support, or word of encouragement? What's the final things or thing that comes to mind for you? I am going to quote, uh, because sometimes we just need to quote the greats that were before us and hope that there is something that we say in this moment of time that someone else later down the line starts to quote us. So I'm going to quote Viktor Frankl. He wrote an amazing book. He was in the concentration camps uh, during World War II, brilliant book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the quote that I absolutely love is that everything can be taken from a man. I'm going to say woman too, but everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. You can choose. You have control. You can choose your attitude. I think Stella felt that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's incredible. And very... I don't even know what the right word would be very blank from being in the times of concentration camps. What's the word I'm thinking of Vanessa? Mm. Mm -mm -mm. It's, it's inspiring. It's stoic. It's that's it. Yes. Mm. See, I think you can also read minds. Vanessa. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> well, our conversation has just been absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And on that note, Vanessa, I did want to thank you for guesting, for sharing your experience and your wealth of knowledge and just wanted to thank you for being you. Oh, thank you for being you and having this space for your audience to be able to listen in, to get the wisdom, to incorporate the wisdom into their lives. You're changing lives. One listener at a time. And as are you, one story sharing at a time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I sincerely hope, Vanessa, that we can stay in touch and just continue to inspire and have the, the conversations and make the world a better place one step at a time. Oh, I look forward to it. Amazing. Thank you again, Vanessa. And to you, Vanessa, and the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.